Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the TheMoonIsDeadWorld.net. I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, we are here talking about a new film that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before and covered a few similar films to it, like uh, Die Hard and the Robocop remake, which is kind of has a similarity to this film in that it's, it's sort of a remake slash reboot of a, a prior action film. Um, and what about the Mad Max Fury Road? Another one that's, that's pretty similar to this film. And we, we that was one of our first episodes and it was a lot of fun. And we, we kind of want to go back to that and like do it again. We'll do it every year. We'll I would, Mad, well, I this, would, this time we're doing the, the, monochrome. yeah, the Chrome version. And, uh, I know, still haven't seen it in monochrome. Like I do. I haven't either, but I don't. I don't know that it's necessary, but I think it would be I, a fun watch. Anyway. I think it I like, is. I like if, watching I think Mad Max Fury Road fucking, anytime. I think if George Miller decided he had to just release another cut of the film in you know black and white, then you think that you got it. You it's might as well worth watch our, it. It's worth our damn time. The man directed Happy Feet for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. A lot that's of people true. don't realize that. No. <laughs> I don't know why they would. They don't really. No, people don't really traffic in those same areas. Is like, well, you know, I saw Mad Max Fury Road, but I've got to check out George Miller's other film, Happy Feet. Well, no, it's not. It's goofy, but at the same time, it's not because if you think about it, yeah, George Miller's done the Mad Max films. So him doing something like Happy Feet, it's goofy. But you know, um, I'm drawing a blank on the motherfucker's name. El Mariachi series director. With like Antonio Banderas also did the Spy Kids movies. Oh yeah, Robert Rod- Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, don't know why I was drawing a blank on his name, but yeah. So like he like did El Mariachi, mm-hmm. and he did you know Desperado. He's like Spy Kids, you know. And then, yeah, that's that's true. Let's go back to something else and Machete. You know, we'll do Spy Kids 3D. You know. Yeah. No, I I I hear you there. It's they, they these directors they just have a mind of their own. They're gonna do what they want to do. They're gonna do the projects they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the film we're talking about today. Is Dread from 2012, um, sort of, sort of a remake of uh, Judge? It's not Dredd, a remake, but it's not really a remake. It's I not mean, even a remake. No. It, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with it. It'd be, as like, you say. It'd, it'd be like saying the Nolan movies are a remake of the Keaton and Schumacher Batman films. They're not remakes. It's true. Remake. It's not really a remake, but it's like a re-envisioning or a a new chapter, if you will. And I think that probably sums up what it is for for Dread. In terms of like coming off of Judge Dredd, because it's like a new chapter in the Dredd series. And if you think about it, with like in the comics uh, in 2000 AD, which is really all I know about Judge Dredd from watching a documentary about 2000 AD and where it originated from, it makes sense that like there's no real storyline that like a like a long running storyline for Dredd. It's more of a you know one shots about his adventures and the dystopian future. And um, I, I think that is ultimately what we get with this Dread film, um, because it is really just like a, a shot in one of one adventure in Dread's line of work. That's and you know you just you get one thing that happens now, to now him. Now I think about it, this would be like the be the perfect TV series. Yeah, because you, you could have one you, shots. You could have like a like a longer could, running arc for some some be, of his adventures. It'd be and, totally like something like a Cowboy Bebop or Lupin, right? Or, even like Ghost in the Shell or, or the Ghost in the Shell standalone yeah. complex, where you have some episode, you know, some episodes that are standalone of just Dread doing his thing, or you can have like you know sometimes an overarching arc. Yeah, like six episodes or something like if that, that. You know, if they feel like it, but no, 
Now that I think about it, yeah, this would be like actually a really great TV series. I think they could definitely get away with it, and there's a lot of subject matter that they could they could work through with it. Yeah, um, I'd love to see Netflix. Netflix, pick this up. It's a good idea, and pick I would. The, I don't pick the see, idea. Up. I don't. I don't see it being like something that they wouldn't be interested in. So if somebody shopped them a especially some, TV series, I think they would be all over it. Especially some of the shit that you see, like especially now. Like now, there's a barrage. Like it seems like every week there's like a new Netflix series, and you're like, "Oh, this is a thing," and "Oh, that's a thing," you know. Yeah, like I said, I don't think that it's that out of line for what they're already doing on like a Netflix show, or maybe even something like Stars. You know, Stars with their Ash versus Evil Dead and stuff like that. It's not really out of line with what they're doing already. So I think I think they could definitely get away with a, a Dread style TV show. And even incorporating some of those 2080 character, other characters that are in the the comics and uh, stuff they've done previously and stuff they're they're doing now because it's still it's still running. 2080 is still going on, um, so I think they could definitely get away with that. And and I, would you be interested in seeing Carl Urban reprise his role as Dread for have for those be. TV series? You wouldn't, you can't see anybody I, else at in this it. point. No, I wouldn't be able to see anyone else as Dread. It just and ha- we'll talk about it. When we get like more to the movie, but no, Carl Urban was born to be dread. He was dread. He is dread. He will always be dread forever and always. So, um, speaking for, I'm, I don't have any experience with either of these films besides today when we watched dread. Um, would you say that Carl Urban makes a better dread than Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone and Judge Dread? Absolutely. But like I said, I don't really want to talk too much about the original Judge Dread because you haven't seen it, so I don't want to be making a. Well, I just I, compa- actually, I don't want I don't want to be making comparisons because you don't really have any contacts. And well, I do want to know: um, is it played up in terms of a, a more humorous dread in Judge Dread, or what, like what kind of film it, is it really? Demolition Man, except with dread. So it's it's kind of goofy and it's and it, basically Demolition Man, except it doesn't have anywhere near the smart satire and. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, still meant to be some somewhat goofy and not taken a- extremely seriously. Yeah, you just got to watch the like, the clips of like Sylvester Stallone like yelling, "I am the law." And we grabbed a few of those for our opening or that, montage. You know, as you know, nostalgia critic made you know famous a thousand times over. Like, you betrayed the law, law, law. You know, yeah, that's the type of movie Judge Dredd is. That's all I really get into. Like I said, it's Demolition Man, which came out a few years after Demolition Man. But it's essentially Demolition Man, except they put Dread in it, and it's nowhere near as, you know, like, smart as Demolition Man is. Like, Demoli- as we talked about, because we reviewed it, Demolition Man's goofy, but it is smart. Yeah, it's, it absolutely has its... It's pretty damn smart and clever in how it you know, handles and subverts the action genre. I can't say that with Judge Dredd. And then saying who I think would be a better Dredd, Stallone or Urban, because I know nothing about the comics. Mm-hmm. But the little that I do know about the comics, um, I can tell you right now, I think Carl Urban plays what Dredd's supposed to be more so than Stallone. Just because I think, you know, I don't think Dredd's supposed to be kind of, uh, in the comics, a... So, somewhat goofy son of a bitch where Carl Urban's a no-nonsense motherfucker in this movie. Yeah, I... I you, you see him in this, you're like, that's Bones McCoy in the remake of Star Trek? Good God. From what I saw from the documentary about 2000 AD, 
and the Judge Dredd segment, I would say that, yes, Carl Urban is definitely more of um, the characteristic Dredd character from from the comic series. Because I don't think that there's... I mean, it's it's definitely a testosterone-fueled comic, and it's written with that in mind. And, like, action and violence go hand-in-hand in in that comic. But at the same time, it's not, like, uh, over-the-top or goofy or anything like that. I think... You know, there's the emphasis on uh, Dread having those sort of one-off moments, uh, you know, kind of like quotable moments. But other than that, I don't think that it's really meant to be like a goofy... I almost think some of the quotable moments in here, like, you know, Judgment Time, mm-hmm. I think that's more just uh, almost a little bit like a tongue-in-cheek, like uh, like wink to the previous film. It could be. It could be. I, I don't. I don't know because I, you know, I have no context with it. But um, also from what I read or not read, but uh, saw within that uh, 2000 AD documentary, was that the the uh, writers, original writers of Dread for 2000 AD, were not very happy with the Sylvester Stallone film. Well, again, like I said, it's not from what you can tell. It's nowhere near the same. But they were happy with the with this dread, or they were happier with this dread. Should be. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, all right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll do our beer talk Got and some new brews to talk about. That's right. And then we'll get into the uh, the film proper. Yeah. So stay with us. Hey, do you like jokes? I love jokes. Do you like video games? Yeah, I love video games. Do you like geek culture and really cool awesome shit? Well, fuck yeah, I do. Do you like murder? What? Check out Game Over Game On. They're on podcast services around the globe. What did you say? Also, follow them on YouTube under The Go-Go Show. It says something about murder. Smash that motherfucking like button. It was definitely murder. You said murder. No, I didn't. And if you get lost... Go to GameOverGameOn.com. It keeps the demons away. The fuck are you talking about? Hope to hear from you soon. You will not. You will not hear from me soon. I'm calling the police. No, you won't. Hey, guys. Welcome back. So we're into our beer talk segment. Um, And this time we do have a new beer for you. Actually, a couple new beers. Um, We've had this this brand on the show a million times. But uh, luckily... Because they're a big, big local band. That, that's right. But uh, luckily, I almost said band. <laughs> <laughs> big local band. No, they're a big local brewery. But uh, luckily, Saranac already has their fall pack out. <laughs> so we could take advantage of it. And I was just talking about how I was really uh, craving yeah. Oktoberfest. Yeah, last week. And were. lucky for me, they've already got it out in, in stores. And I'm just... Uh, I'm ecstatic about it right now. I'm, I can't wait for Oktoberfest beers. Well, you wouldn't even know it if I didn't pick it up. That's true. I would not. I have not seen it around, so I, I didn't know it was out. But um, It shouldn't be out. It's July. You know, they call this the German Roots Pack, and they had a German Roots Pack last year as well, which we covered on the show. And we loved it. Yeah, we decimated that pack. Um, last year, they had a couple different Marzen styles. So they have the regular Oktoberfest, and then they also had... They're more traditional. They're, yeah, they're more traditional Marsden style beer, which I loved. Um, it was like two Oktoberfests in one, just a you know slightly different variations. It was amazing. The only thing better that I can think of would be if they also put their Darktoberfest in a pack because that's 
that's an awesome. I think I like that more than their their regular Oktoberfest, and I would love to see that make a comeback. So Saranac, if you're listening, please, 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 even you know, even if you don't put it in the fall pack, put it out on its own. I would buy a 12 pack of that on its own. But this year's German Roots pack is is a little bit different. It doesn't have their uh, Marzen style. It does have their regular Oktoberfest, which I will never pass up. Um. But and it also has their their um, Black Forest, which is kind of a staple for their fall packs now. I think they they're including that in in their, all of their fall packs because that's a that's a big well, beer for a, them. It's and a staple. It used to be one of their staple beers, and I think like two three years ago, for some reason, they decided to not make it a staple beer anymore. Yeah, they took it out, which doesn't make any sense because their Black Forest, which is a Schwartz beer, Black Lager, is probably the best Black Lager I have ever had in my life. And I don't think anything will ever come. Yeah, you, Close you are to, one of the, the people who heavily praise it. It's got a 95 on Beer Advocate. I would That's say... How, and the bros are pretty picky about their... I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, like, I'm, you know, going to sit here and say, like, Beer Advocate's the end-all, be-all, because I think on some stuff they're quite, you know, pretty, uh... You know, pretty picky and bitchy over. You know, like, you know, if it's yeah. not like a quadruple ale, you know, it just doesn't suit my palate. Um, so, but I think, I mean, it's not just because I really like the Black Forest. I think it's kind of telling because, like I said, it doesn't really seem like something that they, you know, would be up their alley and they're, you know, gave a really high score to. They praise them. And not only that, user reviews for it are pretty damn good too. And a black and a black and a Schwartz beer is a pretty unique style. You like you don't really see uh, too much of that. So it's a great a great beer. Yeah, I think I think it's good. I I uh, would choose an Oktoberfest or something over that. But I, I no, like I agree. I, no, I agree because I'm with you. Uh, Oktoberfest is still my favorite style of beer. I love this time of year when Oktoberfest come out. And all the different varieties. That's why I, lo- I loved last year the pack because you have a traditional Oktoberfest, which Saranac's Oktoberfest is a good blend of like a traditional German style Oktoberfest and an American style because the difference is is malt characteristic. Yeah, like a tr- more traditional German Oktoberfest, it's got a malt character to the you know the lot the Marzen Lager style, but it's not overly malty. Whereas an American uh, Oktoberfest has much heavier multi notes. Like, just take, for instance, like Sam Adams, which has, you know, a very good Oktoberfest style. It's more in line with, like, an American style because it's very malty and it's almost leafy in quality. You get, like, it tastes like what fall. You imagine what you fall. You always say that, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's true. So, like, you, but Saranax is like a middle of the road. That's why it was great because their Marzen style was more like a traditional. German style Oktoberfest, and then yeah. you had the Dark Darktoberfest, which is more like an American style. So you got like you got to experience like the entire spectrum of Oktoberfest within that pack, and it's you know it's awesome. Love it. My only problem is I don't want a fucking Oktoberfest in July. Yeah. Please save that for late October when Halloween's around. And I want to scare the shit out of kids. I want to be having an Oktoberfest in my hand. That's not true. a winter lager. It's not cinnamon and nutmeg time. <laughs> well, I like the um. That this pack is is a little bit different. They're changing it up a little bit. One of the new beers that they have in this pack is their traditional FX Mats House Lager. Um, house spelled in the, the traditional German sense, the H A U S. Um, this is one that I've never had before, but it it's is new. 
it is yeah it's new but it's also old because it's it's the, like a traditional Saranac well actually I should not even say Saranac but an FX Matt beer because it's it's a traditional brewed beer for that company before it even became Saranac well, still, they're still called the FX Map Brewery. Yeah, they but. still, I mean, technically go under that title. Well, nobody but calls they're, they're not yeah. really, yeah. At yeah. this point, they're mostly known as Saranac. But but I like that because I like, first of all, that they're bringing back old traditions. I think that's cool because at this point, if you you never had a house lager from FX Map, you probably weren't getting one unless you were buying them like on eBay or something and they're super old, you know. Or drinking Utica Club, which is which is their new, you're, well, not new, but their their definitely not what, new, what but you would call closer. traditional. Out of all their beers, yeah. it'd be the closest thing to it, but yeah. not even you know, but still at the same time, not close enough. Right. Um, I love this house lager. I think it's really good. Um, it's a very light and drinkable. Light uh, for sure, four point nine percent. Um. Says Hellas Lager on uh, on tap. I it would does, say, yeah. But I would say it's almost more like a Vienna. Yeah, but I mean, you know. But I mean, yeah, tit for tat, right there. <laughs> I mean, for sure. I mean, this is a really good uh, g- general lager. You know, I wouldn't even European style. It doesn't even really need to be categorized as such. It, it's just a very good all around lager, and I think that it's, it's very tasty. Goes down really easy, um, and it's. I think it's again. It still sits within that. That's authentic style of what you're looking for for a fall beer, you know, a lighter the, fall, beer. a lighter fall beer. You know, you're not if you're not looking for something like dark and heavy, like the the Black Forest. You don't you don't need to go that route. You can have the house lager, and you're kind of at the middle of the road. You're not at an Oktoberfest yet. You're not going full full uh, full on Black Forest. Uh, it's a good, you know. I wouldn't just, say it's the middle of the road. I'd say it's the lighter side. It's the lighter side. Yeah, Oktoberfest yeah. would be the middle. And of the I would road. say, well. I don't know, even the Bavarian Pills may be more of a middle of the road leading up to well, I wouldn't, I was, I wasn't the darker put, spectrum. Well, I wasn't putting it on the spectrum just because this the Bavarian Pills has a hop to it. So I would just kind of take that out because it's like, well, we can't put our legacy IPA in this pack, so we'll take a Pilsner and uh, hop it up a bit. And yeah. But I think that the House Lager is a really tasty brew, and I'm glad that it, they added this to the German Roots pack because... I hope it becomes a staple beer. I would like that. You know, they could put this out in 6 and 12 packs, and I don't think right, anybody would bat an eye. I think people would still buy it. I think it would probably sell better than the Adirondack Lager, which is their... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that one's kind of like... come like It's a staple. It's a staple, but I think it's kind of run its course. You know, at a certain point, some some beers as a staple beer, they run their course. And like, you the kinda gotta, For- like the Black Forest did. Yeah, or, and- or, like, uh, or like even comparing to Sam's Boston Lager. How many people now are like, oh, great. There's a, you know, I, I'm excited for this Boston lager included in this, this other, this new pack. Well, they don't ever do that anymore, really. It's right, a, exactly. And then that's what I'm saying. Because it's their, they've been putting their rebel. Once you reach a certain saturation point, like where everybody who's had an, a Sam Adams at all has now had a Boston lager. But at the same time, like, eh. at the same time with them pushing the fucking rebels, it's like, man. Really could go for a Boston Lager. And that's true. <laughs> yeah, and, and exactly. That's it. Kind of works its way around too. You know, once you've pushed a different beer for a little while, then you can re, you know, re uh, open that other beer that you were pushing for so long, like Boston Lager. Now, now you kind of appreciate it again. You're like, mm, 
you know, maybe I could just get a Boston Lager. It'd be nice. Even now, like, if you're going to places around here locally, uh, at, like bars for On Tap, it's hard to find a Boston Lager on no. tap anymore. It's you're always, not going it's to. Always, it's just seasonal. You're going to find Rebel IPAs and seasonal. And that may, that makes me mad because it's like, okay, I have Sam Adams. Like, I went to like a restaurant a couple weeks ago and I was like, oh, I'll just have a Sam Adams. I, Summer Ale, I'm like, I was hoping to be Boston, but yeah, okay, fine. The resignation on your face for the waiter after is like, oh, I guess so, Summer Ale. It's like my least favorite Sam Adams, but I guess. No, I agree. I agree. But yeah, that's the interesting thing. And their ads it. are flooding my Spotify when I'm listening to it. This is what the sound of a Chris Summer Ale was like. Fuck you. Well, if you wouldn't just be a cheap bastard and get Spotify Premium, then you wouldn't have ads. Well, I know, but I don't want to pay the three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. but uh, going back to Saranac, um, I think that house lager is really good. So if you if you, this is the time to seek that out, because and that is in six packs. It is in six packs as can. well. I've seen it in six pack can. It comes in the, the, fit, the six pack can. Yeah, it's perfect. No, because it comes <laughs> it comes in that like you know like how like now. With like six pack can packs, like mm-hmm. or four pack can packs, like for super special beers, you know they do like those little ch- kind of chintzy cardboard, mm-hmm. you know the smaller pull, yeah, packs, it's yeah. little two holes in the top. Yeah, yeah. I did see that. You no, know, I, I would absolutely buy that in a six pack right now. I you know you, no, so would I. I have only seen it like that in one place, and that was at the Amsterdam Price Chopper. And I thought about getting it, but I was like, ah, you know, I'll get I'll get it later. Because I didn't, I didn't think at the time it was like a seasonal thing. Right. I thought it was kind of like the cold brew, where just like the cold brew coffee lager, which is like, surprise, it's it's a new staple beer. And it's like, oh. Yeah, that's, that's like constantly out now. You just get it No, because it, yeah, no, it's a staple beer. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that became, you know, where the fuck have I been? Didn't know that, you know. We don't subscribe to beer magazines. That's why. If we had subscribed to Who's beer sub- magazines, we'd know. Who subscribes to magazines? That's right. I could probably just get them for my library subscription or something. Who goes to the library? <laughs> no, but the, all right. So we got to move on. The other uh, beer that we've had, we've got right now, and I think we've had it on the show before. We had to have because I've checked into it a couple times. I'm we may have, we have, may have mentioned it at, at a certain point. Now that I'm halfway through the second one, it is t- tasting more and more familiar. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got the Bavarian Pills on here, which is also included, and I, I believe it was probably in the last year's pack as well. I don't, I don't specifically remember, but I think it might have been. Um, but this is a good, like. As we were talking about, it's kind of a good middle of the road beer. Uh, still not very high alcohol percentage. It's only five point five percent, thirty eight IBUs, so not real super hoppy, but still has a little bit of a kick to it. Which the IBU does uh, kind of surprise me. I, I wouldn't say it. it's got a nice hoppiness to it, but it's not very hot. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even say like it's like that. It's like a not subtle, but like just above subtle. It's like yeah. It's the um, it's not prominent. It's not subtle. It's like yeah, little, little above subtle. Like because you get like that nice um, and pils- think, pilsner take, I, and then at the end you get like the hop crispness. I think part of that is the the specific hop that they're using, which is the Mandarina Bavaria German hop. It's not something that you come across. It's not you know, it's not as common as a citra hop or uh, you know any of the other kind of IPA hops that you're gonna be you're you're finding quite a bit used now. Um, so I think it's a really good beer. It has it definitely still has that German style to it, um, and I don't want to go into it super, you know, too much because I think we did have it on the show previously. Um, but just know that it's in that pack as well, and uh, all around a solid German roots 
fall pack. Um, and here it is on Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're bringing it to you probably first because I don't know how many other shows or any other places really are covering fall beers at this point, <laughs> to be honest with you. I hope we're the I, only I, crazy ones out there. I think even last year we were talking about how uh, upset we were that fall beers were already out in, you know, july and august and yeah and we i are still, covering one at the yeah, in late and july. i still am because it still pisses me off like get your get your shit together it's not just saranac it's not just it's all of them they're all doing like gotta, you know well now they're pushing more and more for like let's get them out even earlier they get them out even earlier well, i know like they gotta have summer, christmas for beers they gotta have fucking summer beers from February to you know yeah, july like, august like i don't I said, <laughs> it's christmas for beers like you know ever starting ever sooner just well stop it you're ruining. You're ruining it. You're a consumer, and you bought it, so you're part of the problem. I I only did it because I you were bitching about it. Yeah, I, I was, know, and it wasn't just them because I've already seen uh there was two fall packs. I saw this and Lion Kugels had their fall pack out. And I can tell you right now, I'm not really looking forward to a Lion and Kugels fall pack right now. I'd rather have their summer shandy pack right now, like grapefruit, watermelon, lemon, and orange. Even though it's fifty eight degrees out today. No, I I agree. <laughs> I I don't know how much I want a line and kugels either. Fall pack? Yeah. I mean I have a from what I remember, I think I've had it once their mm. Oktoberfest. I think it's okay. Well maybe we'll have to check it out because I know we didn't we never covered it. So we'll have to we'll have to get that on the show. Well, they're more known for their like I said, they're more known for their shandy, so it's like if it's not their shandy, I don't really have I'm not really seeking it. Right. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about some dread. All right. Hey there, neighbor. It's me, head librarian Gavin. I co-head librarian the Red Light Library, that erotic-only library off 2nd Street. Yeah, you know the one. Hey, did you know we're running a podcast now? That's right. And the thing is, we're reviewing the worst erotica we can find online for money, and I've been reading about a lot of weird things banging lately. Like, I could just sit here and tell you about the snowman, the leprechaun, the psychic Utah raptors that start an orgy, the questionable lesbian with the applesauce scene that's really disgusting, and oh, the Donald Trump. Or you could just Listen yourself. Use your favorite podcatching app or look us up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. We're all over the place. The Red Light Library. Search it. You'll get us. Now for why I'm really here. Can I borrow your chainsaw again? We've tracked down an overdue book in someone's car and we need to retrieve it with, shall we say, extreme measures. Okay, time for some dread talk. Try? Try? Not a TED talk, but a dread talk. So excuse the pun on that one. Sorry. Sorry, that was bad. That was bad. All right, so um Dread from 2012. Stars Carl Urban as the titular Judge Dread. Um you know what one thing that I like about it even though I've never I I don't know that much about Judge Dread at all. It's the best looking Lionsgate film ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. Um although I don't think this film has like that turn of the screw that Lionsgate generally has. You know that little screw th- trap thing with the barbed wire that turns around that they play in the saw films i don't think it has that no it had no it had like a different like yeah, opening. A different little logo so that's nice no not that's not what i was thinking at all actually um i was thinking that i like the fact that this film doesn't really attempt to early on give you exposition about like judges this film's not here to bullshit you no it's not it's not it's, it's they're not gonna hold your hand although you know 
the it does give you a character as a stand-in for the audience in terms of like here's your here's your little you know education piece about what judges do but it's not going to like just come out and say like judges control you know they they track down criminals and they are you know judge jury and executioner it doesn't give you any of that really in terms of like early exposition there's no well the intro does have the exposition of the the fact that it's a that po- it, it's a post apocalyptic yeah i mean it gives you a little this, this, something in writing but the, the well you yeah, cuz it's carl urban giving the exposition Right, you know, saying how Mega City One stretches from DC to Boston. Yeah, but I, a giant I even, walled city. I don't even consider that exposition so much as it's just a setup. Setup, yeah, setting. Well, it's it, just a setting. Well, it is. Really. It is exposition, but at the same it time, is, yeah. it's not like. But it's not, it's not beating exposition. It. It's not like you know. Here's here's what's happening right now. Yeah. It's, you know, even when you're giving us the setting of like, oh, it's Mega City 1, there's bad stuff happening all over the place. You're kind of thrown into that dystopian world and just by seeing the things that are happening, like various criminals doing bad things and killing people, you know, eh, eh, probably not interested in living in this time period. (laughs) Uh, Not a place for me. 17,000 crimes a day. 6% of them are addressed. I'm thinking I'm just gonna lay low in the <laughs> live outside of the city and live yeah, in the, yeah. live in the radioactive waste. Take, or, or as you seat. said, in the Mad Max part of the the dystopian future. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit later because yeah. I don't, I don't want to get like into my wet dream right now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I I do like that because you're right. This film is not a film that's really gonna bullshit you. It's not gonna hold your hand. It, but it, again, it's not to be hard fair, to understand. To be fair, it is. It's a ninety-five minute film because it doesn't have the time to bullshit with you. Mm-hmm. I would take a two and a half hour version of this film. I would, but I do think that a ninety-five minute film like this is very refreshing because, as I said before we started watching, I was expecting a two hour and ten minute affair. You know, I was getting ready. Mm-hmm. I was getting my popcorn ready. <laughs> I was, you know. Yeah, oh, I better go to the bathroom or grab my cup because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a while before I we get to the end of this. Because that's how it is, you know, with new films like that are in this style. You ex- expect at least 120 minutes, if not more. Um if we're, you know, if we're talking about the new uh Avengers film, uh the new Marvel film, that's going to be a 2 hour and 30 minute plus film. No matter no matter what's going on. Exactly. And you just kind of like we've kind of been accustomed to that. So me coming into Dread, I was thinking, "Oh wow, this you know, this is going to be a long film. I better get myself steeled for it." Because at that point you do kind of even if you are in, if you enjoy the subject matter, if you know you're probably going to like it. Like I I I was figuring Martin likes this film. It's an action film. Um I like the subject matter. I'm probably going to like this film. You know, you already go into it thinking that. But you also have to steal yourself for the fact that, like, well, it's going to be 130 to 140 minutes. It's just the the nature of those types of films. So I am very pleased with the fact that this is only a 95-minute film, and it flies by. It's a very fast 95-minute film. Uh, there's no real, like, looking at the clock thinking, you know, this is a slow part in this film. There's no slow parts, really. It's it really gets down to business, and it stays that way. And it's in that sense, it does remind me of Mad Max Fury Road because that's a similar film that gets down to business real quick. But that film's also two plus hours. It is, yeah. but it, again, 
in that film, there's no real let up. I mean, there are like interludes, I would say. Quiet, yeah. Yeah, like, quiet interludes, but there's no For the yeah. There's no let up. You're you're kind of in it for that whole time period and you just you just go with it. Breakneck action, things are happening. So a moment like of like Three minutes of like quietness, like kind of progress what's going on. More breakneck action, then like another like five minutes of like quiet to like kind of get a little bit of your bearings. So yeah, like a two-hour film that's nothing but action. You, even though Fury Road is essentially almost that, you know, nonstop with those interludes, it, it kind of breaks it up to the point where you're not, your mind's not yeah. spinning. And I think that's the same thing with Dread. Is that you get that opening sequence. There's a little bit of downtime there where we're getting that set up. But then after that, it's kind of f- pushing forward all the time. There's a, there's always that forward push. There's always that um, action set piece that's that's constantly ongoing. And I like that quite a bit. I think it helps with the pacing altogether. There's, there's not really much of a let up here. And there's barely an interlude because there's only 95 minutes in this film is pretty much set in the same place the entire time. Um, Not Toby Plaza. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's why I brought up Die Hard in the intro, because it is, in in a way, very similar to Die Hard in that it's set in one giant building. and Peach trees. Peach trees in this case. And it does not really leave that area uh, except for the opening and uh, maybe like two scenes that are set outside of that that place. But other than that, we're almost constantly in peach trees for the entirety of the film. One thing that I wanted to bring up that I thought was really cool about dread, having not seen it before is the fact that it is just one scenario in judge dreads long line of crime fighting. You know, this is one situation. One that day, we're seeing. One, one day, one day, one event. And He's got a rookie with him. You know, some other films... And he has to drag along to, like, show the... Exactly. Some other films that are in this style, in this manner, they would have multiple situations for their main character before the actual main event got underway, like the big, big boss guy. You know, the big, bad plot setup. In this case, you know, there's one, like, short moment where Dread is, is tasked with something else, but... For the most part, this is just one job. That's it. And I and like as we said before, we know from some exposition, some dialogue delivered to the rookie Anderson, who Dread kind of takes under his wing, um, that the city has like seventeen thousand crimes a day, and they can only respond to six percent of them. And so we actually see that in action because Dread and Anderson respond to one crime. That happens. Takes it's, the part. Takes their whole day. It takes up the entire day, and and what's great is because he says like another seventeen thousand crimes committed in the city, and again, that's a lot. But at the same time, like Mega City One is technically, I don't know if it's te- technically all of DC to Boston, or if that's a region. And then Mega City One's a city within that region. Yeah, I would have if I had to guess, I would say it's a city within that region. But even still, so. And there's 800 million people living in that region, too, from Boston to D.C. Uh, essentially, it's giant, as you said, giant escape from New York. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> on a huge scale. Yeah. You know, if you're taking New York itself and you're that's escape from New York, this is even larger. Yeah, cordoning it off into 
half the eastern seaboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, but so she goes after he says, you know, like there's seventeen thousand crimes. Judges only get to respond to six percent of them a day. She's like, so what? What crime do we go to? He's like, it's your call. Your call, rookie. You're running the show. Yeah, I mean, what do you want to do? It's pretty. So it's literally they have like a list of like crimes, and if a judge is being lazy, he'd be like. Quadruple, huh? Ugh, that's yeah. That's quadruple. a lot of work today. That's, that's a lot of work today. I'm a little tired. Had a I'll, bender last night. I'll just go deal with this vagrant down the road for you know, being a, a vagrant. Right, and <laughs> I think that's that's on the judges too. It's like, well, how many crimes do you respond to in a day? It's like, well, whatever. I feel like getting to you know, or can get or to. can get to. So like that judge feels like, well, I'm gonna respond to this vagrant. The vagrant's like, sure, I'll move along. And they're like, well, did my duty for today. Uh, <laughs> head back to the, yep, guess I'm back, going back. Head back to the, uh, well, I'm sure it doesn't like work like that, but they're probably like, all right, you know, what else, you know, and they, you know, just pick kind of like the, it's the, like, it's like in GTA 4 when you actually, like when you get to do the vigilante missions, like you actually get to choose, which like, you know, remember how in the previous GTA games, like in Vice City 3 and San Andreas, like. When you did the vigilante mission, just pick random, like, yeah, to go find this yeah, car. Yeah, you just have to do something. In GTA 4, they're like, if you, when you're doing the vigilante mission, you got to choose, like, car theft, like, person on chase, or this, or, like, a standoff. You got to choose. You're like, so, you, essentially, if you're going, like, for, like, the trophy and, like, the the achievement of doing, like, 20 vigilante missions, you just basically choose, like, the 20th easy ones. Like, yeah, I'll just stuff. Uh, Car chase, that one's kind of... I don't like chasing cars down and having to run them off the road and shoot them. I'll just go to the place where I know they'll be like kind of set up and I can usually just pick them off. Yeah. I'll just do that. That's like what the judges get to do. They they get a list of all the crimes and you're, you know, yeah, you're feeling like you got a hangover the next day. <laughs> had a little bender the night before. You pick the easy ones. And like, well, I'll respond to those. And let those, some other guys take on and hell, and the, multiple you know, homicides. You can even take the stance that like, well, you know, there's so much violence and crime and whatnot going on. Yeah, there's no point in prosecuting these murderers and whatnot. I can't get to them all, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's... which we, which we do see, you know. And the... yeah, it's it's just the logistics of it. Like, <laughs> there's just so many people in this one area. There's so much crime that that goes unaddressed, and they and it's they are unable to address it. Is like you just have to make a call. What what do I what do I tackle now? I would assume like being a judge on your first day, like with Anderson and seeing like that list of crimes would be overwhelming. You'd I'm sure like, most, I'm fuck. Well, I'm <laughs> sure most judges don't make it past their first day. Cause they even say they're either dead. <laughs> yeah, no, or yeah, dead or they don't make the cut because they even say, you know, uh, dredge chief while he, they're introducing Anderson. They're saying she was mediocre in school. She failed the exam to become a judge by like three points. And all this other things that make her basically disqualified to be a judge. Dredd, who's a hardened judge at this time and very no-nonsense and does everything by the book, you know, has no room for bending. Right. No room for, like, you know, gray area. It's, this is what the answer is. This is what you're basically supposed to Basically the law. Yeah. Uh, you go by the, literally... The I book mean, and the law. The letter yeah. of the law. Yeah. So, when... He's so when she, his chief's telling him like she failed, she was three points from you know from actually passing the test to become a judge. She was mediocre in her studies. There's nothing special about her, and he's like, "So why the fuck she here?" And like, well, there's a special reason. They granted there's a special reason why she's here. And he's like, "But she failed. <laughs> yeah, why? Why is she here?" He's they, almost like 
Yeah, they have to explain. They have like, to explain. There's special circumstances given to her because she's the most powerful psychic that psychic that's ever been found. Yeah, yeah. that's why she's getting these extra chances. And he's like, I like. She, how, yeah, but he's like, but he's just deadpan, like, but she failed. Uh, yeah, I love how <laughs> Carl Urban just she's has to scowl through that and just like act like. He's not phased by the fact that she's a psychic. He's just like, yeah, okay, but she failed the test. So she's obviously not fit to be a judge. And the other thing that really, I mean, it reminds his, his reactions in that scenario remind me of like someone with Asperger's who just like can't get past the fact I'm like, well, she, but she failed. Like, yeah, she might be good at everything else, but, but she failed this one well, no, thing. She won't, that but no, but, no to, but she wasn't good at it. She was bad right, at exactly. it. Exactly. She's not even but, good at that stuff. But what makes her, you know, get by is, and get those extra chances, the fact that she's a psychic, the most powerful psychic. Which, again, great job by the film. Because, again, as we said, the film's not hand-holding you throughout. They say that, like, her family grew up within, like, a mi- like, couple of miles of the wall of the city, which is where the radiation border is from, like, the post-apocalyptic setting. So, because of that, she was able to... She was a mutant. And she developed... And most mutants develop, like, certain deformities, but she was able to develop psychic powers. Film doesn't, like, explicitly go into that. It's very one-two yeah. on the nose. No backstory. Or no backstory. And it's just there, and it goes. Same and thing with Dread, though, too. No, no I know, backstory but- at all for him. You, we don't really get anything. You don't have to. You don't need to. And I think it would be wor- you would be worse off if you were to have a whole, well, this is where Dread came from. His, this all you is know, why he's, an or- he's like this. All you know, he's, he's an orphan because that's how dr- judges get picked. Or they're orphans. Yeah. I mean, like, can you imagine, though, if there was like a, a backstory flashback for Dread? Like, apparently well, this is what, why he is the way he is. Well, apparently that's what the sequel is supposed to be, which I'm fine with, but at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it I, needs I, to be I done in a in a in a good way. It can't be it can't be a very melodramatic like. Well, no, but I this think, is where I think he came well, from. I think if they did the sequel and they because what I was reading online before we did this is the the if they got if they were going to do sequels, the sequel is going to be like the second one's going to be like how Dread becomes Dread, which that's I'm fine with that because if the whole film's based on that, you're not getting flashbacks. It's just. Yeah, you're getting I that. You're getting that you story. Could, I don't think if you're you getting, split it up. Into, if you're getting like a stupid like, here's how Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Oh, Martha and Thomas got shot again. Oh no! After seeing Phantom of the Opera, you know, we don't. You know, yeah, I'm. I'm totally in agreement. The pearls. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement. That'd be a bastardization and unnecessary. And but I think if they did a whole film, it's it's fine. And yes. but it can't be broken up into like here's the main plot, here's yeah. a flashback. Yeah, yeah it's too no. much, too much. So it, I, in that sense, it's fine. But again, like I said, I like what I love about this film too. Again, it's like it's no nonsense. There's no hand holding. It's just like a slight little bit of information is given to you, and that's all you need. You don't need to know Dred's backstory. You just know like what little information they give you, and he's just a fucking hard and badass judge that he's. No nonsense, and he's going to do his job to the letter while he's training this rookie. And you're getting the background on this rookie. Again, and it's like, again, as I said, like, like the whole thing of how she's a psychic, it's just very flippant. It's there for like two minutes, and then it's, that's it. What are the other things that I like about this? And, it, and again, and it works. It's not, yeah. and it's, this, this film isn't insulting the audience's intelligence, which a lot of action films do. That's true. Because, again, even, like, people, like, because a lot of people consider, like, Die Hard to be the greatest action film of all time. I would say Die Hard, at times, is very kind of 
insulting your intelligence. Which a lot, I mean, like a lot of the action films kind of do because they're expected, like, you're just there to kind of like enjoy and watch the action. Like, yeah. things exploding in blood. Because like Die Hard, like the whole s- segments with the fucking like, you know, Family Matters guy. Like when he's talking to him, those are those are all totally like expositional info dumps and kind of insulting. Like, oh, this is what's going on, man. A lot of shit's happening up here, man. I don't know what to do, man. You gotta do things, man. You know, and take it easy now. I'm eating a twinkie. Let's let's figure this out, and you know. So, but there's not there's none of that in this film. Yeah, I mean, what I was gonna say too is one thing that I like about this. Um, is the way that it incorporates uh, Anderson's psychic abilities without really having to go into detail about them. So there's a in action films sometimes there's a uh, an issue with how the characters' powers are portrayed, and that you're kind of learning as the film goes along the more powerful things that they can do. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that in Dread we ever get a scenario where Anderson and her psychic abilities become too powerful to the point where we question, you know, why didn't we know about this sooner? You know, why didn't we know that she could do this at the beginning? Because now it feels like a, you know, a deus ex machina, you know, like a way to end the situation. I don't think we get that for the most part. Um, I think it, it works to the film's advantage that we often see Anderson having like limited psychic abilities. And then at times, she can do a more powerful psychic ability when she's in the right situation. So when we're talking about their hostage, um, you know, at, at most of the time she can only read his thoughts or read his mind about what he's thinking. Um, but in a certain situation, one that's probably, I would think like the most ideal situation for her psychic abilities, she can actually enter his mind and kind of mess with his mind to do like a little mind warp and then read what he has seen in the past and, you know, get information from him in that way. And I think that in other films that could have been done uh, poorly to the point where we're thinking like, well, why, why didn't we know that she could do that previously? Like, why is that a power that we haven't seen before or known about? And it would feel inorganic. But I think in this film, it feels organic to her character that she only does it sometimes. She, well, it's she, doesn't like, have, she doesn't have the need to. Exactly. And and it, it doesn't feel like it's like an overpowerful no. like, moment for her. It's 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 like light, right in line with what she can do, but just not all the time. Like she doesn't need to do it all the time. It's not, not something she, you know, has to enter everybody's mind all the time. So I like that about that because there is that situation, you know, both judges themselves... And psychics, they would seem almost overpowered to the point where if you're in this situation, like well, why nothing... would you why would you be in danger? But the film does a good job of showing why the Judge Dredd and Anderson are put in danger at all times because they're just surrounded by so much stuff. You know, well, bad not, guys. Well, not only that, guns. but I mean, there's no, there's no superpower to Dredd. He's just a well. I mean, besides well, his gun, besides his weapon, which I mean, I would say in a way is a superpower because it's equipped with just so much stuff. You know, there's the high explosives. There's but it makes sense incendiary in the grenades. The, in the, it makes sense in the context of the universe. That it, it does. And I'm saying, like, it doesn't make him seem too powerful. Despite all of that, despite all his equipment and weaponry, there are still scenarios where he's going to be put in danger. And, and not only that, he's a, ma- he's a man. 
Yeah, he's a mortal there's, man. There's, there's, there's no, there's no again. There's no superpowers or anything about him. He's just a hard again. He's a hardened judge. He's been on the job for several years. He knows what he's at this point. He knows what he's doing. And that's what like makes the whole end the whole ending great when like he spent a day working on the whole crime. You know, trying to take down Mama, and at the end, like, what happened? He's like, drug bust. Not, very very not, modest. Not, not not like oh all the all the shit that happened. He's like drug busted went bad. That's it. <laughs> yeah, perps perps didn't cooperate. Yeah. That's it. Modesty. That's what Carl Urban has. Scowl. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Carl Urban as the uh, titular drudge judge. Dread, drudge, judge, drudge, 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 drudge. I mean, he is a he is dr- drudgery in this too. I mean, but but Judge Dread. Uh, what do you think about Carl Urban? I, th- I I'm gonna guess that you like him as from what you've said previously, but I'll let you take it away. Oh, he's fucking great. He is absolutely a total and utter miserable he's son a, of a he's bitch. A stud, stud, yes, but he's also he's studly. A total miserable son of a bitch in this. You don't need to see his full face to know that. He's you don't sexy. even. You don't even see his face at all in this film. Except, That's one except, surprising except, thing that I thought was really great about this film too is that in a lot of films you'd have like that one scene where Dread is like, "I gotta take my helmet off," you know, mm-hmm. and it would be like to show Dread's full face. In this film, nope. nope. He's got that helmet on at all times, and all the only thing that you can tell his emotions and like. And what he's thinking by is by his mouth and his body language. So he, and I'll, again, I'll give Carl Urban a lot of props. His acting all has to be portrayed through his mouth. Through his, his scowl. His, <laughs> his, through his scowl, his voice, and his body language. As we were joking before, I said, you know, his face probably hurt after this film, after shooting these scenes, because he's he's got so many, like, little moments of scowling. That his muscles in his mouth have got to be like screaming out, like, "Can you just fucking be Smile. a normal, normal face for a moment?" Not the scowling, like was, puckered lip thing. And I was reading too, and I was reading too. He he was saying what a different difficult role it was because he couldn't express emotion through his, you know, being unmasked his face. He had to literally just do it through his just mouth, his scowl, and his body language, and. I can totally see how that would be hard. Like how, like oh, you know, sure. make that come across. Like okay, like you know, can can you be more pouty and miserable there? You know, I think I think like um, dread is an a, a, accumulation of all of those kinds of like hero roles, wherein you have that hero who's just very like stoic and go- you know almost to the point of goofiness, and like he doesn't have any emotion. And for the, like, I'm thinking of like Rick from The Walking Dead, who almost constantly has to be in that serious gruffness. Carl. Carl. Yeah. Carl. And, and and that's almost to the point where it's like, it's it's unrealistic. It's like, what? Come on. Well, you can see dread though, but see, this is where it's realistic. That's what I'm saying. Because his, his job, you you would be like. Well, that's what I'm you, saying. There'd not be a in, lot of wisecracking. This, in this for, scenario, no, though he does wisecrack in a very dead pit. If you're not someone who who's in tune with dry, and I mean fucking saltine cracker, seventy year old wo- woman like dust vagina dry mouth mouth yeah. dryness from being 
poisoned by venomous snake yeah, dry. Yeah, cat and mouth. If you're not in tune with, like, a dry sense of humor, like, then, yeah, you're not going to see, like, the funny moments. Because there are, he does have, like, funny, some pretty funny lines that I think, you know, even though, yeah, his character's, like, a hardened, just a hard ass. I think I can see him, like, probably in his head, like, it's funny. Like, so, like, when he's asking Anderson where her helmet is, and she's like, oh, I don't wear it because it interferes with my psychic powers. And she's like, he's like, so a bullet. Yeah, you can right. probably t- You can probably, like, yeah, he says deadpan and whatnot. And it's like, that's funny because he says it in such a dry manner. But you can almost at the same time almost imagine, like, his character, like, huh. Right. Like, like, on the inside. Kind of, like, in- internally. Like, kind of just be like, huh. Yeah, I think I think it works for Dread because you have to imagine all of the shit that he's seen in this dystopian future. Of he's got uh, no room for unless he's yeah. breaking someone's legs in like glee, like as punishment. Like your sentence is you're going to be a cripple now. He's like, <laughs> yeah. You would think that being a judge would be like from just like a explanation standpoint. Like, what does a judge do? You think it'd be kind of fun. You get a cool little gun. Nobody else can touch your gun because it'll backfire. It's ID to you, and it, if they touch it, it'll backfire on them. Um, and you cool get motorcycle, like, and you you get voice activation controls. You can just tell it what you want, and it'll do it. And yeah, you get a cool motorcycle that can stop you know any pedestrians from crossing a crime scene tape. But it's not all fun and games, obviously, and and I'm sure that. What the film leaves open to interpretation is all the shit that Judge Dredd has seen previously and will see in the future because he makes it out of this alive and there's not really a, I guess you wouldn't, you're not really worried that he won't, but uh, he makes it out of alive and all the things that are going to happen in the future to him. And there's a lot of shit that happens. You can just imagine from the things that occur just in this one building that he's in, which is a building overrun with drug dealers that gets locked down to to keep him in so that he doesn't alert anybody else to this activity. So you can just imagine what the rest of Mega City 1 is like cuz is you know it, what's good about this film too is it's very stylistic. So when they're up on top of peach trees and they're looking out towards a city skyscape of similar looking buildings that are probably have other same, issues. Same fucking problems going uh, on. You can just imagine like looking out at that and being like overwhelmed by the amount of crime that's just out there. Just looking like that's Tuesday over there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like you've got your, your, your days mapped out for the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no retirement in sight for the judges there. Um, no, but it, I, also about that too, tackling that is we do get some corrupt judges that, uh, are in the film that go against Judge Dredd because they're paid to do so by the main villain, Mama. Um, and they do talk about how they've spent like 20 years on the street and how it's has kind of corrupted them because they've seen this shit to the point where it's like, well, it's what's never the point? ending. Yeah, I mean, what's the it's point meat, in fighting as, it anymore? They said it's a meat grinder. It's a really life, interesting life, perspective. Life in Mega City 1 is nothing but a meat grinder, and they're the ones that are controlling the handle which makes sense because they're the judges like all this shit's happening and what how are they solving it by just fucking killing them yeah i mean like, unless, if you if essentially in this universe if you commit homicide there's only one sentence death you know, be, so if, how do you what do you think about what 
Dredd's themes really are about this kind of dystopian society where we've enlisted the help of judges to figure out, like, what do we do with these criminals now? Like, what what is the, what is the theme really saying about this idea? Fascist. Is it, yeah, but I mean, is it a good idea to enlist these judges or? No, I, I don't think so, but I can totally see how, especially in today's society, people are like, that's great. Yeah. Be great if cops just like, you know, we're selectively able, were, we're able to do judging that. people. Yeah, no, I can totally see how people would be like, ah, I'm not, things aren't happening. You know, I think that the, the biggest thing about Dredd's theme occurs when Anderson makes that decision to let one of the quote-unquote perps go as as a victim and and then eventually she's instated as a judge that's that's kind of telling of how they feel about the law and even judge dread goes along with it despite the fact that he's a stickler for the law like he's a very strong proponent of sticking with the law to the letter and making sure that everything goes according he is, to it he is the law i think that it, it does find that like you, there's not always a black and white. It's like there's not always a, a perp and a victim, and and there's not always that. Well, no, and Anderson takes that stance from the beginning when they right. fir- when they first go into Peachtree. She says like, "Look, I grew up in a place like this. I know what it's like. Not everyone here's an animal and a criminal. They're just trying to get by. They may do things that are against the law, but they're not like animals and should be like destroyed for it. They're literally just trying to get by. Because as they as soon, like as, when they're going into the Air, the building of peach trees they're sa- they're giving like a background of the building they're saying this building houses like two million people 96 unemployment rate <laughs> you know yeah. so it's like yeah like yeah you would be doing crime probably too if you were living you know i mean you you've got nothing else really yeah you would there's no prospects for a job there <laughs> only four percent of the people can hold a job yeah. in this area so yeah yeah so it's like and doesn't re- the film doesn't really get into all that, you know, like all the dynamics and like the like trying to take a stance. But you, can, I think it's just more interested in building that world. Yeah, but you can like, and I think if they had further films, it would flesh out, you know, more of like that, you know, that a, a certain stance or. But yeah, even still, with uh, what's given in within the film, is enough. You can, there's enough there for you to you know make your own judgment and. You are the law. In the film, watching it, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I, like I said, I don't. I, I do feel like it is coming down on the side of not having judges, or you know, that it's not the best idea to just have somebody who constantly gets to make a decision. Like, well, yeah, they're bad. Let's kill them. Get get rid of them. That's it. I, and I or well, it's not. It's not. But it's, all, it's, but also, it's not. It's not all crimes are you know death because there's been you know right. No, it's not. They run into a vagrant and they, you know, he gets the ISO cube for three years. Yeah, those are the, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, I think I I do think I, I I see that's like a scene where I think it's like kind of showing its hand though there because it's again that's saying a lot about kind of. Unless you're a very special kind of person. It's saying a lot about, like, kind of prison and laws. Like, vagrancy. Well, what's vagrancy in this definition? Man's homeless. Mm-hmm. So, that, that's, you know, that's how I describe it. Vagrancy, because he's a bum. He's sitting there panhandling because he ha- he's homeless. What's the crime for vagrancy? Three years in the ISO cube. He'd probably love that. No, but at the same time, so, <laughs> no, so, at the same time, that's saying a lot. So, it's like, 
So you basically have a system in place that's a perpetual cycle. Man has no money. He gets thrown in jail for having no money. He serves his time in jail. What's his prospects of having money? After he's done in jail, now that he's a felon. Yeah. So he's going to get arrested again, you know. The cycle continues. Yeah, so, I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's pretty much the idea of the themes. And but he he gets... The, that, that fucking bum gets his comeuppance. He's crushed by a, a lockout door, so... Well, it, to be fair, he was warned. That That is, though, funny. Like, because they're on their way to, like, investigate the homicide of peach trees, and you see the bum there. And they're just walking, Anderson and Dredd, and Dredd stops Anderson like, Anderson! crime <laughs> and she's like huh what oh, oh yeah uh vag- bomb vagrancy what's the sentence uh it's almost oh, three years in ice oq what do we do oh isn't the homicide more important you're right let him off with a warning <laughs> and like if we catch if i catch when i come back and you're still here you're gonna get the ice oq and he's like oh th- thank you thank you and they come back later and he's still there because, again, what the fuck's he going to do? Like, yeah. all right, yep, you're right. Pack up my shit and I mean, that's try like, to get out of a judge's range, you know? It's like the equivalent of, like, a hall monitor in, like, <laughs> high school perspective. Like, whoa, I caught you out of class. <laughs> like, no, I did. I was going to the bathroom, but I don't have a pass. I'll give you a pass this time, but if I catch you coming through here again, yeah. you're, you're going to get written up for detention. <laughs> and it's like, then they catch him again, and it's like, um, yeah, but I was coming back from the bathroom. You just saw me. He's like, "Well, you're getting attention." And then they get killed. You know, that's that's the common <laughs> that's the common theme in uh, in that. But what a waste of beer that was. Um. <laughs> so, I guess I got to ask, what do you think of some of the other like characters in this? Because we haven't really talked about Olivia Thurby, who plays Anderson. Well, I mean, to be fair, the the main cast is literally just. Anderson and Judge Dredd, I would say. Well, yeah, but Carl I mean, Urban. but but more so, Mama's character. No, but just more so, Carl Urban's. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I but I'm talking about the secondary cast. What did you think about like Olivia Thirlby is Anderson? We've got Lena Headey as uh, Mama. I mean, Olivia Thirlby's great. She's Samus Aran. That is, I think that's a great idea. I think Olivia she... Thirlby should absolutely be cast as Samus Aran for uh, a, Metroid. a Metroid film. They should be the way, the starting way, on post haste. The way the way they have her hair and whatnot look in this, it's like yeah, it's like make that Metroid Prime movie with her. I would go see that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I mean, maybe just a little bit longer on the hair, and then they'd have a, a Samus. But no, I know. I thought she was really good. She there's, you know, she plays her role very well. She does like I really like her interactions, like during the psychic parts with. Uh, the one criminal and just like yeah, that's a really cool cool scene that they've got there. But and she also, but again, she's she's the dichotomy to dread because she's a rookie and she, like you get to see her like questioning what she's here's, doing and and, and, be, and again and, judge. the and, yeah the inexperience and not only that it's just kind of being shocked like holy shit like I gotta kill this person like oh I just saw a shit ton of people get killed you know like. I mean, like, not really knowing how to process and handle that. Well, Dredge just doesn't give a fuck. He's like, what, what, what? You never shot someone in the head before? Yeah. You never thrown someone off a building before? Like, come on. Yeah, rookie. 
been doing day on the job. Been doing this for fifteen years. This is right. Yeah. I wake up in the morning like. <laughs> we never do get a time frame for like how long Judge is actually Judge Dredd is actually. He's, he's been, been on. Judge. All you need to know again. All you need to know is he's been on the job long enough that people know he's not to be fucked with. Yeah, because because no, as we you know when we see Mama hire those uh, judges to, you know try to kill him. Again, to show how Dredd's a badass, again, this is where I think the film does such a great job, because again, if this was fucking Batman v Superman, we would have a fucking 20 minute flashback during that scene of how, this is how, this is how, this is how Dredd's, you know, this is how, why are you asking for a million credits for this, you know, one judge? Do you know who Judge Dredd is? And they have like a flashback, like, I used to work with Dredd back in section two, 20 years ago, and, you know, and like... Showing all like the badass things to do. No, they just do one million credits, and she's like, a million credits, and she's like, do you? And the guy goes, do you know who a judge this is? She goes, no, and it's like, he goes, well, I fucking do. He's not to be fucked with. One million credits, and she goes, all right, one million credits, and that's again, it's perfect. It's all you need to know. That judge, even trained killers like you know these who have been on the force for 20 years we know well he well he has i don't i don't think i think yeah lex has been on the force for 20 years i don't think his compadres no i wouldn't say so but i mean but yeah so he like again he knows like you don't fuck with dread so you know they're not but again so they're showing how much of a badass is but at the same time they're not like blowing it out of proportion like oh my god he's fucking superman he can do anything Um, yeah yeah but no, I think I think Olivia, Olivia Trilby does a really good job, and I think um, Lena Headey, Lena Headey as Mama, she's really good too. Yeah, she, I think she, she does a good job as she, Mama. She's very um, cold, like, yeah. like she's the same as Dread. Very so, cold, but again, and... the, the same. She's she's Dread's counterpart in the fact that she's just as cold and maniacal as Dread. But the fact is, she's on the wrong side of the law. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and um, I I like how like sinister she can be in. Like a, sinister would be putting it lightly, right? I wonder, and I, and I think that this is where, again, I was making this sound. It's being a dead horse, but in Suicide Squad, we have Jared Leto as the Joker. I think in this case, like she is sinister and sadistic, but it's not in like a goofy or like way over the top way, like in Suicide Squad with the Joker. It's more of a you know sadistic, but and she and she is like weird but still take her seriously because she's fucking crazy like she took over the whole fucking building yeah she's just actually crazy 200 floors to it you know over nine months was able to take over this you know building and you know form her own powerful gang that controls all pretty much everything the whole building and the narcotics which that's a really cool aspect of this film i love is the drug slow-mo or if you're a fallout fan jet (laughs) gotta say I don't think I would be a, a partaker in slow-mo because I don't think it sounds that fun, but... At what? Making time seem like yeah. it's passing at 1%? Yeah, I don't think it seems that fun to me. Well, if you're unemployed. <laughs> I'll see you have... I guess, you yeah. Might as, you might as yeah. well be... What few credits you have, you might as well be spending it on a drug. <laughs> I guess uh, it's it's meant to see the beauty in the world because I think that the film does get to that a couple times wherein you see... When they take when they take slow mo, you see the beauty of the world for what it is in those seconds, like water droplets or glass particles. But then they do that. The but they but they take that same effect though and use it like people a, on slow mo and during a gunfight, and you get to see like in slow mo, like 
whoa, like you right. know, like it's like vats and fallout, like like yeah. Shit. I think there's I think there's both to that though. There's an ultraviolet characteristic to it, but there's also the beauty of like look at the human cheekbone shattering as which, a bullet which, enters, which would be it. like the end of Mama, which is abs- That's just fucking great. How? Oh yeah, the shattering of like the human face as it. As it smashes through layers of concrete. No, yeah, but the whole, the whole, the whole th- shot though of like Dread. Spoiler alert, boys and girls. When Dread finally gets the mama and decides to punish her, and that almost sounds like a BDSM thing. Decides yeah. to punish her. <laughs> well, he may, may may very well went down there later to her corpse and like, all right. Who time. knows how he gets his rocks off? <laughs> I don't. He's seen shit. <laughs> but um. But no, like, it's it's such a cool thing. Like, he... One, you almost think, like, he should be punishing himself, because he administers a narcotic to her. True. Dried, you're breaking the law, man. You're... you're, you're, that, for, uh, you're we should have used breaking the law, breaking... For the... Bam! <laughs> little Judas Priest. That's damn. right, yeah. But, um, but no, like, so... But it's really cool. I mean, besides that, like, we could be like, oh, Dried, you're breaking the law yourself. You're forcing a narcotic on her, but... I guess I get technically not because he's judging her, so he can be like, "This is part of your judgment." You know, they get a they get a pass. Yeah. For that. Well, anywho, it's so cool because he puts the drug on her, and then like, he when he just throws her out of the window, and then you get to see in slow mo like the way it's shot, like the glass shattering her, and then as she slowly fall, you get again slow mo of her fall from this you know two hundred stories up. Falling and glass shattering, and then the way light looks in this time, you know, going in while using slow mo is this very accentuated and over like saturated, like neon, like bright neon colors, and just the way it looks in like the fog. Yeah, it's he- heavily styled for sure. Yeah, it looks just fucking great. And then like when she finally hits the ground, wow, what a great shot! Just like of it being of the, a POV shot. Of the ground and her body, the, gr- the ground's like, look at this. Yeah, I know. But the only, but the thing is, what makes it really cool though, too, is like they're not like it was like a like a regular action film. But she, her her or Death Wish, her body would explode on impact to like a ball of flames, or her or, body was made of gasoline, or you know, her body would just like disintegrate and you know, yeah, body parts shot. But no, they take a very ultra realistic, and her as soon as her body hits the ground, like her head flies off. You see, just hit the pavement and then blood you just splatter because from the force of, you know just yeah and it's really cool looking and it looks great and it's again yeah, ultra realistic and ultra violent and it's it's, it's fucking cool. just amazing looking it is very cool um i think that like i don't know if i find the slow-mo thrown off a building a punishment though in terms of like you know how they kill like some of the other on slow mo, yeah, on skin, slow-mo, the, skin them and throw them off. The I door. don't know if I find that a punishment. Like um, I, I'm trying to understand like how my brain would be like if it was slow mo and I'm falling off a building. I think I'd probably just recognize all the cool stuff that's happening around me well, rather no. than feel. If you the, got skinned like those guys, well, true, that, the skin and the you're then, and then you're, and then you're, bad, and then you're thrown off that pain that you're feeling from being skinned alive. You're gonna be like as you're falling. I'm falling to my death, and oh shit, I'm in such agonizing pain. Yeah, the, and that pain's gonna be even accentuated more because you think your brain's processing what's happening, 
at one percent of what's actually happening. So you'd be like, oh, that's true. The the pain so, would be bad. I guess I was trying to think of like what it would be like to fall off a building at one percent the speed of what you normally would. I think it's to more process it. I think that's more though too to with Mama at the end. I think that's more too to like kind of slow her like metabolism and like her heart down. I think that's true. Enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he shot her. Because she. What happens is she's got a detonator on her wrist to blow up essentially all peach trees if she dies. That's that's her threat saying, like, you can't win, Judge. I have this detonator, and if you kill me, it's synced with my heartbeat, and if you do that, then it won't, you know, bombs will go off and we're all dead. So you can't win. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he shoots her. You know, like, and it's like a killing blow, too. Like, he shoots, like, right in, you know, the side. The stomach, yeah. But he's smart enough, because, again, he... Dry- Dread knows this thing or two. He's done this before. And he's like, oh, I don't think that sensor's gonna work for like 100, 200 feet down. I don't think it's got that kind of range. Let's find out. And that's why he throws her out the window. So I think, and I, and I think too, using the slow-mo is part part of the punishment because she was producing that narcotics. I was like, here, have a taste of your own drug. And I think too, it'll like, you know, slow her... Because I don't think it's just affecting the mind, too. It'll affect, like, her heart rate and all of that, too. So, like, from stop her from, like, totally bleeding out from the fall down, it'll... Yeah. It'll allow her to get far enough down where the, the sensor can't, yeah hit, you know, trigger She the, won't die the on the fall, you know. Yeah. It'll be the impact itself. Yeah, I agree. I was just thinking about what it would feel like to, to but fall. Again, and... It's not explained, but I, th- I think you can gather enough from that. To... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think about the stylization of this film? Because uh, it's definitely got its its own, own style. style. And uh, as we did, we haven't really mentioned, but this was shot for 3D. Speci- and, yeah, specifically with, for 3D. With 3D, yeah. It, the principal shooting was not in 3D. Um, I didn't see this movie in theaters. No. Um, yeah. I did when it came out, because I was like, it looks, it looks pretty cool. But I, I just never got a chance. And not only that, I wouldn't see it in 3D anyway, because I can't see 3D. Um, and you can tell, like, with certain things in this, that the way they're shot, that they are in 3D. I do think... I think it would have been pretty cool to see it in uh, Yeah, 3D. no, even though I can't see, I get, like, the sh- certain shots, like, the whole, like, with, like, falling off. Like, yeah, the, especially since this wasn't done in post. No, it was it actually done... shot for 3D. Because a lot of the films that you're seeing, that you see that were in 3D were actually done later on in, with, yeah. in post with, with uh, slapping out like, ah, ah, ooh, right. With, with, you know, with the 3D that was, is not authentic to what the. we can do with 3D now. If you actually start out shooting it in 3D. So I think that this film would, would actually be one of the rare occasion where it benefits to actually see it in 3D because you would have those effects, those, those, enunciated effects like i'm i'm assuming the glass particles the water droplets um things like that would actually just be those action scenes we see yeah. like the bullets you know like in slow-mo yeah like flying those would actually be just enhanced by a 3d image instead of seeing it in 2d i don't think you're missing anything by watching this in 2d later on but i think it would have been a fun experience to have seen it in 3d no because i don't think it's like when you're watching this you're like all right, that was definitely done to like, like you know, like ooh, 3D. But you can yeah, see that's, where, that's but a, you can see where, like, how, like, if it was in 3D, like, yeah, like I can see how that would work and how that would, you know. Yeah, besides would, the intro logo, 
I yeah. don't see there's no other place where it's like this is really intentionally 3D. You know what I mean? Like yeah. shot for 3D. Where in other films you get like Ooh, things here's sticking the out at you. Yeah, knives sticking <laughs> out at you or or pokers or whatever. You know, you get those those inorganic moments, but this film doesn't have that. So, I think it would have been really interesting to see this in 3D. And I don't own a 3D TV, so that's unfortunately not not part of uh, the viewing experience for us at Blood and Black Run Podcast. But no, I I like the styling of this film a lot. I think it's got a great, gritty style that's very reminiscent of, like, like an escape from New York. Like a Blade Runner. I but, think it takes a lot of uh, inspiration from those films, for sure. But at the same time, it's got, like, a great neon hyper stylized setting like sense to it too it's got a great dichotomy and mix of dark grittiness and hyper saturization and it's like colors like think think like the ghost in the shell movie with 20 you know that we the reviewed 2017 this year, with like how like it's neon color and i like that and all but like this is like done to, i think better like even better than that like it's because it's do, it does a great blend of that like yeah and I think of the dark and the neon. And speaking of that, goes to the show. Have you seen the Blu-ray cover, the the DVD and Blu-ray cover for home video? Like the red looking. Nope. Just like it's it's a very neon esque cover art for it. And don't do that. <laughs> it doesn't look good, in my opinion. But but uh, the, you're right. I think that this film does that uh, sort of like gritty cityscape. Slash somewhat neon futuristic. I think it does that very well. It's I think you can tell where it's in like the influences. But at the same time, I think it does enough different and in, in its own unique style that it makes its own. And again, I would say, like, if, you, like again, you can see like from like again, it's like because again, it's like when you it, when you see like those like cityscapes. If you it's like well, if you just put fucking giant advertisements in it, like, okay, that's like Blade Runner. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, in this future, it's like. Well, that was really got a job, and it's just riddled the crime. What ads are you really gonna be like a- advertising throughout, like Mega City One? Like, buy a Coke. No one's got money, asshole. You know. From what I've seen, <laughs> it looks similar to the comic. It, you know, it looks like it was pulled from the comic. So, yes, I think that it was inspired by other things, but also by its own, you yeah. know, original format. So, I think it does a very good job of that. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, and we normally talk about it with films, soundtrack. I love it. You do like the soundtrack. Love it. You like the, uh, the droning, droning bass, tech electro... Tech, yeah, no, I think it's great. EDM it's, music. It's great. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's it's good. I think it may be a little too heavily leaning on like those rock guitar riffs. For, for a little so, bit of it. Well, some of those, like, so I, I think more like those, like, some of those rock tracks like throughout the movie are kind of off put except the end i love the end like when you see dread walking off and you get that like that fits it perfectly but like the other parts where you randomly have like a rock track i don't think it fits it that well but i think overall like the regular like just edm like bass droning like soundtrack throughout the entire film i think that works great yeah i like that um and i love it i I do think you're right that like the rock tracks sometimes just don't kind of fit They'll say, like, the last rock track at the end. Yeah. Before we hit the end credits. is like, oh, that's great. It's like, uh, bring Dread 2. 
Bring it on! I'm more of a fan of like when they have the electro synth tracks because that fits more with the futuristic timeline of it. The future, you know. Well, I think rock can fit too, but I think where they just use it and what they do with it because it's very minimalistic. It's just kind of like, like, yeah. like a, a repe- repetitive a, a, guitar riff. riff yeah, and it, so it doesn't really um add, inha- add to yeah. what's going on. I think you're right. Like an electro synth, like droning sound fits more in what's and it would going... fit with more uh, with like the, in the tone New York tone and stuff like that you know you can imagine Amish. John Carpenter like yeah. sitting here like like scoring this film and like yeah. just like I got this really cool synth track like to add here like you know just ding, 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 yeah ding. um about the action what, about, what do you think of the action like s- the actual set pieces, set pieces of yeah. it uh, I think they did it very well um there are a couple scenes where I don't love the over-stylized blood and, and things like that. But for the most part, I think they did a really good job with a lot of the gunfights. Especially when Dredd is fighting the other judges, specifically Lex. I think that's a really good scene. Uh, it's very cool. You you kind of are pitting two like-minded individuals against each other. I think sometimes even more so than when he's facing Mama. Because that... Last part with Mama is sort of anticlimactic. Wherein... I would no, that, that's definitely like that's not the climb. I would say the climax is the fight with Lex. Yeah, exactly. And then when you get exactly. to Ma- yeah. you know his and then it's kind of his like, battle with yeah. Mama. It's it's you're already in falling actions. Like like you know like all right, we're in the third. Like you know here's like we're getting to the falling action. Because yeah. again, by the time all the, they deal with the judges, it's like all right. As we were saying, like the bad guys are like they're just like getting shot like easily by Dread and Co storming towards mama if i was those guys to throw my guns like i just live here i'm just trying to fucking go to the burrito shop downstairs don't know what the fuck's going on like you know i wouldn't be like being yeah you you wouldn't be going down with the ship like with mama uh, yeah at that point i'd be like like, i don't fuck shit's over yeah like yeah (laughs) fuck this you know yeah no i'm gonna get this tattoo bleached out of my skin and I think that 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 uh, fight between judges is is really the uh, the center point for the film. I liked it quite a bit. Um, like I said, I don't love some of the other over stylized moments of it, like some of the other like shooting scenes that are kind of in slow mo, where it's obvious that it's a very hyper realistic version of like how a bullet would enter a, a human or something like that. But I I think they're interesting despite that fact i like it i know you do i i, I, th- I think I, again i think it's part of this film's appeal is it's hyper violent hyper realistic which i find funny that people are like we're criti- i have criticized the film for being like hyper violent and it's violence because i guarantee the same people like saw robocop like this is what a, what a great satire and this violence and it's like what's this film's doing like nothing you know yeah it's a more modern take and I think with the more t- modern technology, and I think the practical and computer effects in this are damn good. Even like the CGI in this film is damn good. It looks really good. And I think too, I think the fact that like those scenes of like violence are hyper like hyper violence. I think it works. I don't think if you had like a dark red blood color. And like made it like more realistic. It would work. It'd be like it would come off as way too kind of like yeah. Mm. It's like it's like part of the like what's part of like Dawn of the Dead's charm? It's hyper violent. The blood's like accentuate. You know. Yeah. It's meant to be hyper realistic, and I and you know with its tone of hyper violence. So I think it totally works. I think it's perfect in this film. It fits the tone of this film perfectly. Set in the future. 
You know, you get to see Dredd shoot a fucking incendiary in someone's mouth and his head just fry. Yeah. It's fucking great. It's not meant to, you know, be like super real. It's hyper realistic. Yeah. It's within the realm, but at the same time, it's, you know, over, it's over stylized. But I think it totally fits within like the tone of the film and the what the film's going for with yeah. its style. Yeah, and I think that the um those moments where Anderson gets in the head of It's great. Of I the hostage it. is is probably one of the better parts too. Of you know, just kind of that dream sequence scenario that, that happens. I think it's really cool. I think and then and that's I one thing I wanted to bring up. Olivia Thurlby in those moments where he's fantasizing. About actual topless scene or... About fucking her? Actual <laughs> topless scene or stand-in? Well, we'll have to ask her. I, I, I'm going to say stand-in. We'll get her on the podcast. And the reason I say, st- <laughs> uh, say stand-in or, and or CGI, which I can't really tell. Because it, I would it say, could... It, I would say CGI. Yeah, because I, I think it's CGI. Is because... When she actually does the jacket sequence where you see her taking off her jacket, you don't actually see the the front side. <laughs> you see the back, the bare back side, but not the front side. So that's a good indication that she didn't actually do any nudity for this. So No, I imagine not. I think it was probably CGI. Yeah. But Olivia Thoroughby, if you're listening, would love to see it. <laughs> um. No, but it, that, is a, that is a fun sequence. I, I like that a lot. Anything else you want to add before we go into the ratings for Dread? I guess not. Um, I think we covered most of it, actually. I mean, there's. I could talk about this movie for, like, hours. I really, <laughs> no, I really could. No, I, no one wants that. You don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. You have your own shows. Like, this is <laughs> three hours of Dread with this Martin. Is, this <laughs> is a cult classic now. This You're is, making it one? I'm not making it. It is. It has it, become one. It didn't do that. I mean, it made money at the box office, but it didn't do enough for them to well, I power think it out a sequel. From the, from the same same problems as like the Total Recall remake is that people were already thinking like the difference Whoa. is though nobody wants a Total Recall remake. Well, no one really wanted a dread the, new, a new dread film. No, either. but here's the difference: Total Recall is a fucking great Paul Verhoeven movie. Nobody wants, like, with RoboCop, nobody wants to see a remake of RoboCop. Nobody wants to see a remake of of Total Recall. Dread, on the other hand, people, look, I like, I, like I said, I wasn't really going to talk about it because you haven't seen it, and so I don't want to make, like, comparisons. Judge Dread is not a good movie. I like it, though, because it's campy as fuck and enjoyable for its campy bad sake. And Sylvester Stallone is just, you know, being hammy Sylvester Stallone in it. So, I mean, but overall, most people, like, unless you, like, really like action films or campy films, you're not going to, or Sylvester Stallone films, you don't really give a shit about Judge Dredd. So, Dredd, again, this film is, like, basically, is starting at square one. It You don't have, like, a connection to the original. Not, I, Judge Dredd as a comic, especially in the United States, is a very, very not well, like, known comic figure, like, to the general audience. Most people, if they it's probably saw this film, popular, would yeah. not know, like, oh, this is based off a comic book series? It's not like Batman, Superman, like, and all, you know, that. It's not. Right. So, it's, I I wouldn't say there's any, it, 
I think overall, I think the marketing for this film wasn't that good because even Carl Urban himself said part of the film's failure was the fact the marketing job they did for it wasn't good. And I don't really remember the marketing for it because I only saw like two trailers for it on TV when it came out. And I was like, oh, they made another Dread? I, don't know if, I didn't know if it was like a sequel or what, but I was like, that's cool, but I never got a chance to see it. So I, I don't I don't think the fact... That, I don't, no, I, so I can't say like it suffered the same... Like, thing with, like, a Total Recall remake. I haven't seen the Total Recall remake, so I can't tell... I couldn't tell you either way whether it was good, bad, or not, you know, in between. But at the same time, Total Recall has a pretty decent following and fan base. And people like Paul Verhoeven films, like I do and you do. So, it's... That's gonna be more upsetting. Same thing like a Robocop remake. I don't think this film is gonna... Would have been nearly as viewed as such, because, again... It's totally touching a different audience, and... Again, there's not really any people who are like, how dare you remake Sylvester Stallone? They're like, how dare you reboot, you know, Sylvester Stallone's dread film? Right. So I, I, I can't say that. But after seeing this film, I can tell you right now, is that we were talking about earlier, which I said I wanted to hold on. I want to see a crossover between this and Mad Max. I think the Dread universe and the Mad Mad Max universe would fit fucking perfectly together. I would love to see a world where Max stumbles upon a super city like Mega City 1 and runs into Judge Dread. I think it's totally perfect. You could totally, like, rationalize the settings, like, between, like, Max is on the outskirts. He's in the radioactive wastelands of the world where there isn't, a you know, these mega cities. And on his adventures, he runs into a mega city. He's like, what the fuck? You know, there's yeah. some kind of civilization. And then runs into Dread. I think that would be great. Carl Urban and fucking Tom Hardy together would be absolutely splendid. And, like, in such an enjoyable testosterone fucking fest. And it's great, too, because when you look at Carl Urban, especially from, like, his him being Bones McCoy in fucking remake of Star Trek, you wouldn't look at him like, man, he's a mick, badass kicking, you know, badass, you know, manly man. Right. Because he's almost kind of, he's not, like, fat in, like, the Star Trek movies, but he does, like, kind of look as kind of, like, just frumpy, like, damn it, Jim, I'm a, you know, as, you know. I think you're looking for portly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not really, he's not portly, but he, again, he doesn't come off as, like, you know. The, uh, the, mo- the fittest. He doesn't come off as, I am the law, you know. Yeah. It, as, I mean, Grant's not supposed to, as being bones, but. So, I mean, I, and, you know, I think, I would just love to see it, too, because, again, from, if you saw, if you're, like, a fan of Batman, and you saw Dread, you would see fucking Carl Urban in this and say, like, I want him to be Batman. In the same way, if you saw Tom Hardy as, like, either Bane and Batman, you know, the Dark Knight Rises, or in Mad Max, you know, Fury Road, you would, you could watch that and say, like, Tom Hardy would be perfect as Batman. You watch um, Dread, you would say Carl Urban would be fucking great as Batman. Just imagine Carl Urban as, like, Dark, you know, the Dark Knight Returns Batman. You know, Frank Miller's like, I'm an old crotchety man, I'm just fucking breaking people's necks now because I'm pissed off at everything. Here's me riding a horse fighting Superman, you know. That's that's the kind of Batman you would get out of Carl Urban. Yeah. Alright, so out of ten Judge Helmets, what would you give Dread? I'd give it a nine and a half. That's really high. Before Fury Road came out, I would say this is probably, this is probably the best action film of the past like 30 years. 
Fury Road. I I think now after I think Fury Road is has taken over for that. Is it's taken over? Yeah, I'd say like a nine nine and a half for Dread. Okay. And I'd say Dread's probably the second, but I mean, okay, maybe not thirty years, twenty years, because I'm trying I'm trying to think like because like Star even like Starship Troopers and all you know. There's a lot of great act. I look. I love Dread. I think it's got. I think the setting is amazing. It's again, it's it's the generic dystopian like overpopulated city setting, but I think it does enough with it different and changes it up, and then explores its own universe enough to be unique and enjoyable. I think Carl Urban's fucking fantastic. He's uh, such a total badass in this. And just portrays the role of being such a miserable cunt throughout the entire film. So just great, and just how serious he takes his job, especially at the end too. Like when you just like at, like you said at the end of him just being like, "Ugh, just another day," and he just rides off on his motorcycle, probably to go home, sew himself back up, have a shot of whiskey, go to bed, get up and at five, do it all over again. Mm-hmm. I think Olivia Tribbly, she's really good in this too. I think everyone. I think everyone in this film is good. Even like all the support, like small bit roles. There's nobody really in here that's you know doesn't do a good job with their part. I think everyone does a fantastic part. I think the soundtrack is very enjoyable. I love the effects in this film, CGI or otherwise. And again, as we said before, both of us aren't really fans of CGI effects. I think the CGI effects and the practical effects in this are very good. I think the style, the color, the. F- the cinematography in general in this film is very beautiful. I, it, it's a shame that I didn't get to see it in theaters. It's a shame I didn't get to see it in 3D, that I won't be able to see it in 3D, because I can just by watching this film, I can see how the 3D aspect would end, lend to it. And I love its ultra-violent, ultra-hyper-realized style that's very reminiscent of a bygone period in like action films that you don't really see as much anymore. And if they're done now... They're done ultra violent, but they're not really hyper hyper realistic. They're just more like gritty realistic, you know. Yeah. I I think this is a unique film within like the canon of like film like action films that have come out in the past twenty years. It's like again like like Fury Road is the only reason like Fury Road is as good as it is because fucking George Miller knows what he's doing. You know. Other than that, like what what action films have like come out that have been like of this type of tone and style really hasn't been any. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, yeah, you know, I'd probably say I would give it this film a nine. I'll bump it down from a nine and a half. Cause I don't like giving it half. So I'll give it a nine. Okay. Yeah. I give it an eight and a half. I think it's really enjoyable. I, I liked it a lot. Um, just some things that brought it down were, like I said, some of the, uh, over stylized, uh, action and you know gore sequences and um, I think it's pretty much it. I mean that that brought it down for me. Um, other than that, I really liked it a lot and I think it has a good handle on how to do a plot for a dread film. Um, because it leaves it open for any number of sequels. And now, and what sucks too is the fact that it's been five years now. Mm-hmm. As much as I would love to see a sequel, at the same time, it's probably not happening. It's well, if it does happen, it's going to be disappointing because it's like you like because now again, five years have passed. Who's this film being made for? It's going to be made for us, the cult fans. 
So it's not really going to be, a, you know, again, it's not going to do that well at the box office unless they have some kind of brilliant marketing behind it. Yeah, I mean, I've which got I s- can't, which I can't see. So now it's been so, you know, far gone from the original release. It's if they do decide to make a sequel, which Carl Urban has said there's still plans on possibly doing it. At this point, it's almost like God, you know. Yeah, I am disappointed that they haven't made one yet. It, it seems like, like even in this film, there's the possible. I mean, this is one event in Dred- Judge Dredd's existence as a judge. So there's so much more room for any other number. And, of- we, and we just explored literally a one fucking building in Mega yeah, City right, One. Exactly. It takes yeah. again takes up all of like the eastern sea like you know from dc to boston yeah there's this so is much room one building not this is the nakatomi plaza of this of you know this franchise yeah there's so much room for it to grow and that's it's what's that's another great thing about this film the whole fact that this film is literally just within the, this building of peach trees yeah and what they're able to do with it and how that building looks and like and how it just oh it's great absolutely great not only that too, as I was telling you, this, like I would love to see like a Dread video game. I'm not one for like making like films into video games. I think you could do a really good like action RPG out of like a Dread game. Yeah, be awesome. Well, we better wrap this up before Martin blows his wad on for I'm I'm already a few hours. So, <laughs> but next it's not week- my computer screen. I'll bust a nut on your computer screen. I don't care. Next week we're doing Atomic Blonde. We're going to go out, venture out to the theater. See Another hyper violent. I guess, I guess they spoke. Hopefully. I was say, well, you can tell from like the trailer that we saw, like. I'm uh, excited. Unless it blew it, lo- unless it blew it slowed. I guess, I guess they lied. Tommy Blonde would fit in that. Um, hype from what it looks like a hyper violent, hyper real. And now I think about it more too. I miss quite a few films that fit that category. Sin City, 300. The whatever other Frank Miller movie that's in black and white that I can't remember. Um, the other Sin City. It's like Sin. No, it's like Sin City, but it's not like Shadow for Vendetta. No, that's that's not that's the Wachowski brothers. Yeah, I don't know. That's not what I'm thinking about. There's more. There's more. I'm thinking of more like hyper violent, hyper like you know realistic style action films that have come out in the past. 10, 15 years that I totally forgot about. Yeah. Because well, I don't like Sin City. There's a bunch. I, I didn't like V for Vendetta that much, but... But, uh, the spirit, I think, is what you're thinking Yeah! Of. The spirit. Yeah, there <laughs> just you came go. To me. You said the shadow, the spirit. But, yeah, we're going to see a Tom Blonde next week. I was going to say the Silver Shroud, because I was thinking uh, of Fallout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, but we're going to see a Tom Blonde next week. I'm excited to see Charlize Theron and a bunch of undress modes of undress uh so that'll be fun um and then the week after that we're gonna get out of our action mode i think and and kind of tackle some dunker so (laughs) yeah yeah some dunker no that's uh, we're gonna see that but we're not gonna do it for the show so uh but yeah we're gonna we're gonna do atomic blonde next week so make sure you stay tuned um we want to know uh what you think about um dread so let us know on our twitter it's at blood and black rum you can email us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We have both a group and a page, so just search for us on there. 
Uh, you can find us on any sort of podcast app that you can think of. Podcast apps like iTunes, Stitcher, um, Blueberry, if you use that. Anything, really. You can find us on there. Leave us a review and uh, subscribe to us on there. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you follow us on there, you get all the updates. You can also comment on any of our shows. Uh, but And you can also donate to us. So any donation will go back to the show so we can purchase new things like microphones, which we just got a new one for our show. And uh, other than that, you know, just let us know what you think about the show. We really appreciate hearing from you. And uh, we hope to to hear more from you as we continue on in our quest for at least 100 episodes because we're, we're, we're getting up there. We passed the 75 episode mark. So it's a big event for us. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode about Dread. Catch us next week for Atomic Blonde, and we'll see you then. Take care.